I'm going to tell you a few things about myself. I'm going to tell you that I am not love. I'm not love. And I'm going to tell you why I'm not love, all right? I'm not love because I'm racist. I'm being dead serious. I'm not love because I have made judgments on people based on the way they look, based on their socioeconomic class, based on their identity, based on their gender. I am not love because I've done those racist things. I am not love because I'm super selfish. Uh, selfish to the point that there have been times in my life where if you can't do something for me, I probably won't hang out with you. Selfish to that point. That's pretty bad. I'm not love. God is love. I'm not love. There was this one time, this one time in particular, uh, this was a while ago, I was walking down the street and there was this woman and I was with some friends and she was like, please help me. And this woman looked terrible. I mean, just terrible. Um, and she like was strung out on some drug. I don't know what it was. And she had um, cuts on her and she was drooling and she was like, please help me. And have you ever been in a position where like something is so uncomfortable, like like the space feels heavy? Do you know what I'm talking about? Something's so uncomfortable, you just, you have to get away no matter what. Have you ever been there before where that's happened to you? And that's how I felt. I was like, I just gotta get away. This is brutal. And, and, and so one of my friends gave this woman $5 uh, and she was like, I need more, I need more. And she's like, I'm 32 years old and I'm out on the street. And I'm not kidding. I thought she looked like she was maybe like 55. Like she just, it was awful. And, and, and I didn't know what to do with this awful feeling, so I yelled at her. And I was like, leave, you already got money. And then I started walking away, and she followed, and I walked down into the subway, and I looked, and she was still there. And I was like, leave, get out of here. And finally, she walked away and left. And I was shook. I was like, oh, thank God I'm out of that uncomfortable situation, because I am not love. I'm not love. God is love. I'm not Ooh, that was confession right there, wasn't it? Um, we're in this identity series. And in this identity series, we're trying to figure out who God is. And I say figure out. We're wrestling with who God is. And so last week, we wrestled a little bit with the idea of God being justice. And what we say is we've been taking this quote from this theologian, Paul Tillich. We've been saying God doesn't exist. God is the ground of all existence. Well, what, what does that mean? It means that God is outside of our realm. So for us to say that we can know God specifically, eh, that's probably not the case. But what we have is we have our scriptures, which the inspired word of God, and we have Jesus, the life of Jesus, and we know, we believe that uh, Jesus is God incarnate. God comes to earth as Jesus, okay? So based on that, we surmise, we wrestle, we, we think about who God might be in our lives. And so as we talked about justice last week, this week we're gonna talk about God being love. How many people have ever heard the phrase, God is love? How many people have heard it? Should be everybody at some point, you've heard it. <laughs> How many people actually believe that God is pure love? Like, like, at, at no, at, like you could do nothing wrong. God has loved you the entire time. How many people believe that? You guys are doing better than me. Good, very good. We're gonna talk about this idea that God is love today. And we're gonna look at a, a passage that um, might not seem like a passage about God's love, um, but it is possibly... In my uh, opinion, it's probably the most important theological passage in all of the Bible outside of the Gospels. That's how much I care about this passage. This passage is huge for me, and this passage is so important and was so important. It was written by Paul that people actually sang this. This was probably one of the first hymns in all of you know, the, the Christ-following way. This is one of the first things they sang together. And so what I want us to do is I want us to at least say it together. Can you say it together with me? Can we do this, this passage that sort of hits on God's love? 
Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Let's, let's, let's sing it. You start. Um, okay, so I'm going to put it up here, and we're going to say it together as they would have 2,000 years ago. We ready? Okay. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not bad. Pretty good. Thank you. This is big, right? And who was singing this? I'll tell you who was singing this. The Philippians were singing this. They're the people from Philippi. Or Philippi. And so who are the people from Philippi? Well, Philippi was really, really close to Rome. And so people from Philippi prided themselves in being Romans. They spoke like Romans, talked like Romans, acted like Romans, ate like Romans. And in fact, if you were part of the Roman army, if you were a high up ranking official in the Roman army, when you retired, Rome often gave you a plot of land to retire on in Philippi. So you have a group of people who are really, really allegiant to the Roman Empire. And yet some of them are becoming these Christ followers, right? And so they're singing this amazing song written by Paul. Now, here's the deal. Paul throws in a couple of words here, and there are a couple of really important words that gets us closer to what God's love looks like. And he throws them in on purpose, and the words are there to upset. They're there to sort of bring controversy. They're there to bring about feelings, okay? And so the first word that Paul uses that is controversial, that would make people upset or make people think twice, is the word crux. Anybody know what crux means or the English version of crux? Does anybody know it? Take a wild guess. Yeah, all right, nice, cross. Very good, whoever said that, excellent. Yeah, it means cross. Now for us, how many people think the word cross is a terrible, bad word? Anybody? Yeah, exactly. No, but the word cross in the Roman Empire was the lowest of low. The word cross in the Roman Empire was the antithesis of the empire. It was shame. It was as low as you can go. In fact, uh, Cicero, who is a philosopher and a writer, he says this in 80 BC. He says, the name of the cross, not only from the body, but from the thought, shall be far from the eyes and ears of every Roman citizen. And I'm not being dramatic here when I say this. The cross, to say cross, was a curse word. Like, I'm not kidding you. So when they would sing this 2,000 years ago, they were cursing. Their little scroll should have the parental advisory explicit lyric sticker on it because that's what they were doing. They were cursing. When we just, did, when we just recited this, we were reciting a 2,000-year-old curse word. The cross was shame. The cross was the antithesis of the Roman Empire. So why does Paul put a curse word in there that's bound to stir up controversy? I'll tell you why, because what Paul's doing is he's saying, do we want to know how far the love of God is? I'll tell you how far it is, and I'm gonna he tells us through Jesus. It goes all the way to the crux, to the cross. So basically he was saying, how can I get people to understand how deep my love is for them? I mean, it's not going to happen by somebody being born on third base. It's not going to happen by someone born into privilege. It's not going to happen by someone, uh, you know, who can use power to get power from others or to get things from others. It's going to happen by me going to the point where, 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 where my, my appearance makes people angry and to the place where people are so uncomfortable with me that they want to leave me or the place where people are so angered with me that they want to yell at me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my love to the cross, to the crux. That's how deep my love is. 
And so when you were singing this, if you were the Philippians and you were singing this, remember, they're retired soldiers and stuff. And a lot of them, they didn't want to sing about even death on the cross. Because at that point, you would be saying, you'd be conceding that you were worshiping someone who was part of a cross, part of a curse word. That would be like us saying we worship a drug-addicted woman who has cuts all over her and is drooling and is shouting out, help me. That is the brevity and the depth of the idea of the cross. That's it. How deep is God's love? God's love takes us to the crux, to the cross. Now, that's good news for someone like me who's not love. But then Paul uses another word. This word is so good. You want to know what this word is? Hyperhypsosum. Say it with me. Hyperhypsosum. God wants hyperhypsosum for us all. That is the Latin word for the word exalted. Hyperhypsosum. So what God says is, I love you from the crux, from the cross, from the lowest of the low. And just like I do with my son, I bring you to the exalted place. Now, back in those days, they thought the earth was flat, remember? And they didn't have space shuttles, so they didn't know what space looked like. They probably thought like Martians were playing hockey up there or something. But what they had was they had this idea that up there and then below the earth, because the earth was flat, below there was an exalted space. It was the hyperhypsosum. It was the space where only the gods could reside, where only the greatest could reside. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying Jesus Christ comes as the lowest of low, as, as the shame, as the, as the woman that you don't want to be around, right? But then is exalted to the place of the gods, the highest of the high. That is how deep and how far God's love is for you. So when you are singing this and you're a Philippian singing this, you're sitting there and you're singing like, wow, at some point God's love for me is when I'm at my worst. And then God's love for me is to the point where like God thinks I'm even better than the Caesar because Caesar's Lord, right? And we're, we're using these political connotations. And so it's this idea that they cannot escape the love of God. That's the point. In fact, David in the Psalms says, where can I go from your spirit? How can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. God's love follows you. It knows no bounds. It's like a lost puppy. You know what I mean? Following you back home? Nobody, okay, just me that happened to one time? Anyway, yeah, it just follows you. You can't get away from it. So people reading this are like, this is incredible news, especially people who are worshiping gods who at whims would kill them. This God is a God who says, I love you to the depths, to the place where you are most uncomfortable with yourself, to where you want to be out of that situation, and I love you at the highest, at the place where you are exalted like the gods. That is how deep and how wide my love is for you. And the way that God does this or the way that Paul writes this is through a word that I've talked about before here at this church, and that word is the word hesed. And hesed means that our God, who is the infinite and unimaginable, our God who is, doesn't exist but is the ground of all existence, that God binds God's self to one law and one law only. And that law is called hesed. And what God says is, I bind myself to my humanity. I bind myself to my creation. So no matter what my creation does, has said, I am bound to you. I'm bound to you at the crux, and I'm bound to you in the hyperhypsosum. I'm bound to you throughout. And this is super cheesy, but the only way I can really discuss like what has said really means is, have you ever seen um, uh, you know, those ridiculous movies or TV shows where like two people are handcuffed together? Have you ever seen that? And they hate each other. Like, I hate you. But then at the end, the handcuffs come off, and they're like, I love you. You know what I'm talking about? You know those. That's the only way I can really describe hesed. Hesed is like God being chained to us, like bound to us. And people go, well, God's separate from me. And, and the good news of this passage, of this hesed, is that God's not separate from us. It's us going, 
I want to get out of here. I want to get out of here. I want to get away. And God's going, I can't. Has said, I'm chained to you. I'm bound to you. This is my love for you. I'm bound to you at the crux and I'm bound to you at hyperhypsosum, just like I was with my son. That is God's love. And that is good news. That is good news for the person I was talking to last week. And she said to me, I don't like to talk one-on-one with people very often. And I said, me neither. (laughs) Um, Because I'm an extrovert and talking one-on-one with someone is like painful for me. Anyway. um, And and she said, I don't like to do it because I'm afraid eventually someone's going to find out about me. She said, somebody's going to find out about my shame. And they're going to find out that I'm a fraud. I'm not the person I say I am. And I was like, oh man, that hit me so hard. And and, and then the good news in in this, the good news in God's love is God's love meets her there at her crux, at the place where she thinks she has her greatest shame. That's where God meets her. And then I thought about somebody else who I was talking to and somebody else said, I make bad decisions and guess what? I'm gonna leave church and I'm gonna continue to make bad decisions. And I was like, man, I have been there. And I thought to myself, that is where God is with this friend. God is there in the friend's bad decisions. God says, I am bound to you. I am changed to you. I am there at your crux, at your worst decision. And I stay with you and work to get you to a place of hyperhypsosum. I'm with you when you are exalted. I'm with you in both spots. I'm bound. I'm handcuffed. I'm chained to you. I will not leave you. And for us who wake up every morning with that sense of regret for that thing that we did, God's bound to us. God's chained to us. God loves us in the midst of that regret. And for those of us who are addicted, and we have this addiction who runs our, that runs our life and it rules our life, God's bound to us. God's changed to us in the midst of our addiction at the crux. That's where God's love is. And for those of us who have hurt someone deeply or have been hurt deeply and our lives are defined by that hurt, God is bound to us. God has changed to, it, chained to us at our crux, at our lowest, in our shame, in our pain. That's where God resides. And that is good news. And for me, the racist the selfish person, the one who, when God shows up as a drug-addicted woman, can't even stand it, God still meets me, even though I'm not love, and says, I'm bound to you, Jonathan, in your lowest places, at your crux, and I'm with you at the exalted. That is God's love. But God's love doesn't stop there, and it shouldn't stop there, because there is a response to this love that we have of God, and the response comes from Philippians 2, 12 to 12 and 13. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according Uh, will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, there's a line here that sticks out, okay? And maybe, uh, what line sticks out to you? Just go ahead, shout it out. What line sticks out here to you? Anything in particular? You guys, it's okay to interact with me. All right, are we, are we? All right, I'm just, I mean, the one that sticks out to me is fear and trembling. Anybody else, fear and trembling? Yeah, there's a little fear and trembling, right? What does that mean, fear and trembling? I just got finished talking about how God loves us from crux to hyperipsosum and is bound to us through his said. Like, fear and trembling means there's a chance God might leave us or we should be afraid of God or God might judge us. That's a scary thing. I'm gonna rescue that for us today. So here's the fear and trembling that's being talked about. And it goes back to that person. Who's that person that you'd wanna meet, right? That, that, that celebrity. You got that celebrity in your mind? Um, this is slightly embarrassing, I guess, but I, I love the band Fish. 
You know the band Fish? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love Fish. And a couple of years ago, I saw Fish's lead singer and lead guitarist, Trey Anastasio, walking down the street. And my wife was with me. And I'm like, Juby! I'm like, that's Trey! And she's like, go say hi to him. And I was like, no, I'm too scared. <laughs> and so I just stopped and I let him walk away and he walked away. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just saw Trey. Now, now, uh, why was I afraid? Was I afraid because if I walked up to Trey, he was gonna punch me in the face? No. I was afraid because there was a sense of awe, a sense of like, man, there's been so much that that guy has done to like entertain me, basically, right? So much that I, that I respect from that guy, so much that I'm thankful for from that guy that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't talk to him. That's the kind of fear and trembling we're talking about here. We're talking about fear and trembling that comes from awe, that comes from being so thankful for something that you cannot even stand it. Right, that's the fear and trembling. And then the beautiful thing is in the Greek, the word work means energized. So when they say of God, it's God who energizes you to do the acts in order to fulfill his good purpose. So what they're saying is they're saying that awe, that, that thankfulness that you have, that like, oh my gosh, I can't believe God loves me from crux to hyperipsosum. I can't believe God's bound to me. Oh my gosh, God says, take that energy and use it to imitate me. Take that energy and use that love to show others. That's how he would use that passage. Oh, boy. How many people think it's easy to imitate Christ? <laughs> if it was just a bunch of moral platitudes and, and right beliefs, that'd be so nice. If you had a list, don't do these six things. Well, 10 things, right? 10 commandments. Don't do these 10 things. Believe these things. And now you imitate Christ. I'd be like, sweet, this is so easy. But when this says work out your time with God, work this out in fear and trembling, in awe, in thankfulness. Imitate Christ. That means that God wants to see glimpses of us down at crux, meeting people there, and glimpses of us working to see people exalted in the hyperhypsoism. God wants us to go there too. Way more difficult than platitudes, moral platitudes and religious beliefs. So I talk with a lot of you. And in fact, I've had this conversation. I'm looking around the room. And in this room alone, I've had this conversation with probably 15 of you. And we've had this conversation about some of the times where I'll preach. And I'll say, you know what? I'll preach uh, about the oppression of people and how I feel like people need to be liberated. And I'll preach about things that border or hinge on political. Or I'll preach on something. I'll say, this is what we have to do if we're really, truly followers of God. And people have come up to me and they've challenged me on this. They said, you know, I feel a little guilty. I feel a little guilty. You, you talk about this, but that's not my experience, and that makes me feel not great. And I listen to that. I take that on. Or I have people say, Jonathan, why would you make a statement about that in church? Why would you make a statement about that person in church? Don't you know that that is sort of out of the realm of religion? And I listen to it, and I take that on, and I hear it. And what I come to over and over and over again, over and over and over again, is that basically if I'm to imitate Jesus, if we're to imitate Jesus then our job is to stand with people. That is simply our job, to stand with people at the crux, at their lowest of low, and in the highest of high, at the hyperipsosum, where they're exalted. Our job is simply to imitate Christ by standing with them, by saying, yeah, God is, is I see it. God's attached to you through his said. God's bound to you, and I'm gonna show you that God's bound to you. And so when I talk about something like Black Lives Matter, I'm not talking about it because it's my experience. It's obviously not my experience, but because God is bound to all of us. I can't help but imitate Christ by saying, I stand with people who God is bound to as well. I have to. This 
passage compels us to do it. It compels me to do it. It compels our church to do it. And I'm not being progressive. People are like, you're progressive because you're for LGBT inclusiveness. No, people's lives are at stake here. And for me to say, oh, there's a law that says, you know, no, you're a human being. God is bound to you. Therefore, I stand with you. This passage compels me to do that. And I'm not being something else. I'm not being political when I say, please don't call somebody an illegal. They're a human being. God is not attached to an illegal. God's attached to God's creation, a human being, and it's up to me to stand with that person as well. That's not a political statement. That's a statement of Jesus, where Jesus every single time puts humanity over law, every time. And I'm not being ridiculous when I say in our church, I hope we have disagreements. I hope we have disagreements about stuff because if we didn't have disagreements about stuff, you know what we'd be? We'd be just another church with the same moral platitudes and the same right beliefs. That's all we'd be. And so we should disagree with one another. You know why? Because we're all chained to the set of God and we're all with God. And so we show each other God by saying we disagree, but in our disagreements, we're still in love with each other. We still love you. That is the beauty of this passage. It compels us, compels us to move forward and imitate God. And oh, if it were as simple as a couple of moral platitudes. Right now, today, there's someone here and you feel shame and you feel pain and you feel like you're the one that, that, that has this really uncomfortable place around you and you can't escape yourself. And I'm here to tell you that God is with you, chained to you, even as much as you try to get away down at your crux. And today I'm here to tell you that right now life looks really good and you're feeling really good and right now uh, things are going your way and your children are sleeping through the night, God bless, and all that other stuff is going on and I'm sitting there and I'm telling you that God is there with you, in love with you at that place in your life too, from the crux to the hyperhypsosum. And there are people here who can't forgive themselves for something And I'm here to tell you today that you've already been forgiven, that as much as you think God wants to separate God's self from you, God is attached to you and there's nothing you can do to escape that. You are loved. And I'm here today to tell you that if you're addicted or if you have a pain or if you have a hurt, this is our church and our church is here to imitate Christ for one another. And so if you have that, come to me. Go to Ben, go to some of our deacons, go to our leaders and say to them, I have something that's getting in the way of me seeing God's love and this church is here to imitate God, imitate Christ's love for one another as hard as it is for all of us and as hard as it is for a sinner like me. Is God love? Yes. Can we escape from it? No. He loves us from the depths to the highest of highs and is bound to us. So in fear and trembling, in awe and thanksgiving, let's go show that to others. Amen? Heavenly Father, it's amazing to be bound to you. It's amazing that you don't forsake us or leave us. It's amazing that we can do the worst of the worst, be the worst of the worst be at our crux and our greatest shame in your walk with us. So give us the courage to walk with others. Give us the courage to imitate Christ's love. And give us the courage to do that so that we're constantly, continually lifting others up. We pray this in your name, amen.